This episode is brought to you by City on Fire by number one international bestseller Don Winslow. Stephen King has called Don Winslow one of America's greatest storytellers and Christian White has said that City on Fire is a masterpiece, wonderfully crafted, beautifully written and a propulsive, authentic page turner. It's already receiving rave reviews all around the world with Publisher Weekly, Library Journal, Kirkus and Booklist all already giving it starred reviews saying epic, stunning and brilliant. It will be released in Australia on the 4th of May, so pre-order now. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 35,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been living with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm Uh, feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Hello everyone and welcome to a takeover episode of Words and Nerds. My name is Cassie Hamer, I'm a Sydney-based author and it's my absolute pleasure today to be talking with debut author Ali Lowe who's written a wonderful sort of suburban noir, I think we'll call it, called The Trivia Night. Ali, welcome to Words and Nerds. Hi Cassie, thanks for having me, it's great to be here. Uh, it's a real pleasure. I recently finished reading your book and absolutely loved it. Couldn't put it down. Had to ignore the children on one of these <laughs> weekends and keep disappearing into the bedroom to find out what happened to the partner swapping parents of Dali Holmes <laughs> Primary at this off the charts trivia night that they all go to and. What a chaotic night ensues. So my first question is, can I please be invited to your next school trivia night? <laughs> yeah, come along. They're all like that and we all end up swinging. No, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> That's not true. Um, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm not entirely sure where the idea came from. Well, I do actually. I, it was over a conversation I had with a girlfriend and she happened to mention that um, a group of parents at her primary school were perhaps uh, allegedly swingers. I won't name the school, obviously. Um, but uh, it really kind of sat with me for the next few days. I kept thinking, gosh, that's an amazing plot for a novel, you know. And, and everyone who's a, an Aussie parent, primary school parent, knows that trivia nights can be a bit loose. And, um, and you know, people sometimes have a few too many drinks, etc. And um, the, the seeds of this idea of what would happen to a group of people if something like this happened just kept percolating in my, in my head. And, um, and a couple of weeks later, I went into the Faber writing a novel part one course. And, and that was what I decided to, to base the novel on. So did you go into that course purely with the idea or had you already written some chapters for the book? Um, purely with the idea. So I was, you know, it's kind of, I had a vague, vague storyline in my head, which obviously chopped and changed because I'm not a planner at all. 
Um, and we went round the room in that first session and, and basically talked about discussed ideas we had. And I mentioned mine and I remember everyone's reaction was kind of like, oh, cool. You know, wow, that sounds quite commercial. And, you know, and, and we got chatting about it around the table. And, and that was that really. And, and over the coming weeks, I, I started writing, um, you know, various scenes some of them that made the cut and some of them that didn't. And um, yeah, and it all came together over a period of about nine months, a very rough first draft. Gosh, nine months is actually pretty quick. You must have had some really quality ideas about how to take that initial idea and expand it out. How do you do that? You start with a great idea, but how do you take that seed and spin it out into a complex narrative? Well, a lot of it changed, to be honest. So those scenes I was writing in the first couple of sessions were very much backstory, just getting to know my characters. But then once I started, I just started and I wrote and I wrote and I got to certain plot points where I thought, oh gosh, this doesn't work or this is a bit ridiculous. And so I'd rip out 10,000 words and start again. Um, And that was how I wrote the book. I didn't really, I think I kind of planned as I went along. So I'd write you know, six chapters. And then I think, right, what am I going to do the next few chapters? What's going to happen? Then I'd write those. And then what's going to happen at the midpoint after they've been to trivia night? Okay, well, I'm going to try this. And I remember at that point, going backwards and deleting and starting from after trivia night again, and just going through until I had a very vague sort of skeleton of a story. Um, And then after I'd written that, going back and embellishing, so making the characters richer and going back and putting the smaller, you know, the backstory of the dog and stuff like that, which, you you know, obviously knows you've read it. I won't go into it, but, um, you know, all these things that kind of came to be, you know, to make the story richer sort of were added in later on. Um, But I'm I'm a terrible non-planner. Um, and that's just the way it worked for me with the trivia night um, and with the second one, actually, which um, I wrote afterwards. So, yeah, I've just learned that I can't plan. <laughs> it's terrible. I wish I could. Do you wish you could? I mean, everyone just has a natural sort of style, I suppose. And, and of course, it's referred to as pantsing. But a nice way to refer to it is that you're a discovery writer and that you discover plot as you go along. Mm. And I've heard you say in another interview that the beauty in that method is that you surprise yourself. And especially yeah. in a book where there's an element of suspense you want the reader to keep guessing until the end and I guess if you are as the author are still guessing then that Mm. naturally is going to convey to the reader is that what you see as the upside with writing in the way that you do yeah I mean there's obviously the downside in that you lose a few words (laughs) you know here and there you write something and it doesn't work and you have to take it out which is frustrating so in that sense you know I wish I had a bit more of an ability to to make a bit more of a detailed plan but you're absolutely right and I remember listening to an interview with Michael Robotham who doesn't plan either and him kind of saying that it was okay and, and me feeling allowed not to plan because he had said that if you don't plan um, you know, you don't know where your story is going and then nor does the reader. And also, if you don't plan, you can make six other suspects, you know, people, sus- um, credible suspects. Um, you know, whereas if you plan and you feel like you've got to stick to something, maybe the reader knows that too. Um, I don't know. Who knows? But uh, I kind of took that as, um, you know, allowance to do it. You know, I felt like he would, if, if Michael Robotham can do it and look at how amazing he is, then, um, you know, maybe it's okay to do that. And I think there is such a variety um, in terms of writers, 
who plan and and who don't you know I think it's probably 50 50 um, and we probably don't really understand each other's methods and wish we did <laughs> I, I I do think everyone sits somewhere on that spectrum like I don't think you're either just a pantser or just a plotter I think you know for instance I do some plotting but then mm. along the way you just discover that what you have planned out isn't going to quite work so you have to be rethinking all the time but in the trivia mm. night there is a fairly substantial twist at the end and I'm just wondering if you knew all along that that was going to be the twist or at what point that came to you um I didn't know that at the beginning I didn't know how the book would end at all um and I didn't know how that twist would link to the event that happens before it because that event this is all very cryptic but that event didn't kind of become part of the narrative until later on so yeah even I I I knew where I was going to start I knew my kind of you know what would happen a third in I knew that the trivia night would happen and all these people would experience this one thing but that's kind of all I knew really and then it was only it was kind of like climbing a mountain I, I took I, I was quite slow with the relatively slow with the first half and then when I reached that point it was almost like running down and it just kind of unfurled the way it did um but yeah it certainly it certainly wasn't planned I just I remember us doing a session at Faber where we all had um little cards and we were encouraged to write down our plan and you know scene one scene two you know and put them all in order and I just remember just thinking oh I, what I don't understand but what's the midpoint and what's the midpoint reversal and what's the so where does the inciting incident go and uh, uh, you know my brain doesn't work like that I just I, I I'm not you know I'm quite good at multitasking but I'm not very good logistically I can't I can't do that I, I can't work from you know, cards like that, I just get too confused. I, I, my brain's not built for logistics. Um, so, so yeah, for me, that's just the way it works. And, um, you know, like to have have writers like Michael Robotham and Leon Moriarty say, oh, well, we don't plan either is kind of like a big, yes, yay, a big kind of fist pump because, um, you know, that's, that's my style. Yeah, look, I think um, probably a lot of what you're talking about comes down to having an instinct for story. And you have a background in journalism and I assume you're probably a very keen reader and sometimes I suspect that if you read enough books that a muscle memory kicks in and you sort of learn to uh, trust your intuition as to, you know, where do I need to increase the pace, where do I need to up the tension, where do I need to make things really difficult for the character. Does it feel instinctive in a way to you? Um, yeah, in some ways. I mean, probably not because of the reading aspect as much as the journalism aspect. And, you know, obviously you're a Jonah as well, Cassie, and you, you know, and we, I guess we have this inherent, you know, knowledge about how to start something, how to increase the tension, how to end it. But obviously that's on a smaller scale. I've never written a journalism article that was 80,000 words. So, um, you know, I was kind of used to doing that on a smaller scale, but kind of understanding that you've got to conclude something and that you've got to keep the pace going and so I guess what I learned from the Faber course and you know from writing now well having done a a draft of a third novel is you know just kind of having that start point and, and keeping things quite concise as you go through and that was actually something that was quite hard to get a grip on because I was used to writing you know perhaps a story that had the potential of 3,000 words but having to condense it into 300 words so I was kind of used to doing the opposite to what 
you know, writing a novel, the process of writing a novel is. Um, but, you know, ultimately, ultimately that was something I learned as I went along to kind of let go, but still to have that kind of structure and still to kind of know, like you said, where to ramp up the tension or, or hopefully that's what I learned. Um, you know, and obviously a lot of that changes in the edits as well. So if you have a good editor, they'll come back and, and say, well, you know, you need to kind of perhaps ramp things up a little bit here or, you know, things are slowing a little bit here. Let's get the tension going. So it's, it's all a process as you go along. Oh, it's a huge process to undertake. But let's talk a little bit more about the story itself. It's told from the point of view of three of the female characters who are present there on the night of the trivia mm -hmm. night. Can you just talk a little bit about each character and why you chose that particular character trait? Or each of them have pretty significant backstories. Mm -hmm. So if you can just tell us about each one and sort of the wounds that they're dealing with, I suppose. Yeah. Um, okay, so Amanda was the first, um, so it's Amanda, Zoe and Alice. Amanda was the first character that I started writing the backstory on. And I really liked the idea of someone who was wounded by their upbringing, um, who was perhaps, it's difficult because I don't want to give too much away, but, um, you know, who perhaps had a tendency to get a bit overexcited at social events and, um, you know, and which I suppose is a bit of a Mandarin, all of us, you know, when you go out and you're dressed up for school trivia night and you're acting like someone else and, and you've had a few drinks and, you know, and I like I liked the idea of exploring someone who didn't have a break, who didn't, who couldn't put their foot on the brake in those situations and, you know, repeatedly found themselves in situations where they were out of control, you know, whether it be with, you know, an incident that happens with a dog or, you know, and as you find out towards the end of the book, there have been more incidents like this that, um, you know, that happened with Amanda. And I just like the idea of exploring that. Um, I also really love the idea of um, exploring the kind of perfect PNC, amazing, you know, prim and proper women who actually may not be, you know, who, who may have life unraveling underneath but on the surface, it being perfect. And that's Alice. So Alice is, you know, working on the entertainment committee at the PNC. She's very, you know, upstanding. She's very much, I've got two perfect children who led, you read Harry Potter when they were six. You know, I've, um, you know, I'm very organized. Um, everything on the surface is very perfect and pristine, but yet underneath there's issues that we don't know about. And, and I love the idea of, like I said with Amanda, of taking this woman into a situation where she, puts on a school uniform and she becomes a different person and she loosens up and, you know, perhaps she experiences something that she would never have experienced, you know, otherwise. Um, and I just kind of really like the idea of that kind of unbuttoning, that unloosening of this character, um, because we all know someone at school like that who's the, who's very perfect and they probably are very perfect when they go home as so well, probably don't have a, a, a life as kind of complicated as Alice's underneath. But, you know, same with Amanda, there's, there's always the, the mum that maybe gets a bit out of control. There's the mum who's the perfect PNC lady. There's the mum who's always in the active wear. There's the mum clutching the coffee in the morning. There's the mum like Zoe who, you know, maybe has a, a little youngster but is trying for another. There's a mum like Lara who's bohemian and wanders around in her bohemian garb looking amazing. You know, I wanted to kind of explore all these perhaps slight stereotypes but take them, but make them not stereotypes and, and give them all these complex lives underneath. 
Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed writing all of them, um, probably particularly Zoe. Um, but um, but yeah, no, it was it was a great experience. I think the one thing that's really interesting too is that you chose to write each woman in the first person. So mm -hmm. with Zoe, for instance, she's writing emails to her sister. Um, and with uh, Alice, she's talking to her therapist. And with Amanda, it's not quite clear who she's talking to until the very end. I'm just yeah. wondering, that decision to write in first person, was that a decision you made early on? Because it does seem to be quite key to the overall narrative. It, it does, but it wasn't a decision. Well, it, it, I was writing in third to start with. So I was writing from the point of view of Zoe, Alice, Amanda and Lara, but in third to start with. And then I think it was after the first draft was written, I was having mentoring sessions with Catherine Heyman, um, and who was the then course director of Faber. And I remember sending her an email um, probably about a month before I sent my manuscript off saying, um, I think I'm going to go into first. Can you read this 800 words and tell me what you think? And I remember her just sending me one line back saying, you know, this is it. This is, you're on it. This is great. And so I went back and spent about a month going through changing everything. And that's when the book kind of really found, that's when, you know, um, Alice, decided to talk to her therapist. And that's when Zoe wrote the emails. And that's that's when the characters really, really came to life. Um, when, you know, those when it went into first and when those decisions were made. But yeah, they were made quite late on in the piece. Um, but, but what I was saying earlier about, you know, you, have, you may have the bare bones of a book, but it all changes in the editing. I think that's a kind of prime example that, you know, this book really came together during that process and that process of, you know, experimenting and, changing tense and then you know like the who they were writing to emerged and like you said that's key to to the whole narrative so so yeah it was but it was yeah to answer your question it was a it was a last minute decision but one that I hope paid off oh it totally pays off because it just allows you to go so deep inside the characters heads and I think what's interesting with, with your book is that it's really high concept and has this massive hook but you deal with a lot of different issues relating to, you know, substance abuse, domestic violence, infertility, some really dark themes. And I'm wondering, how did you put yourself into the position of those three women? Did it, did it take some research? Did you draw on personal experiences or those of people around you? How did you sort of go there? Um, for Alice and Amanda, I could not answer that question. I don't know how I went there. I just, um, it was imagination. It was, you know, just, I don't know, trial and error, I guess. And just going back to that character and re reworking and reworking and trying to get deeper and deeper and deeper as I went along. Zoe was slightly different. Um, Zoe is, and I've been asked before which characters are most like me and, and I have to say Zoe. Um, I have, I'm very close to my sister, so I, would write to my sister just like Zoe would write to Phoebe. So, you know, just quite sort of colloquial, quite sort of, you know, hey, like, like this, like that, you know, very kind of forgetting my grammar and just a stream of consciousness, which Zoe does. But Zoe's, um, one of Zoe's issues that she's facing is an inability to get pregnant. And also there's an issue of grief that emerges later on with Zoe's character. And that was um, very raw to me because I actually lost my brother during the, um, well, actually two years before I wrote the book. So for me, it was quite sort of cathartic. 
at writing those, um, you know, writing those pages about grief. And that, you know, a lot of people who know me have read those pages kind of have said, oh, wow, you know, that you can tell those were the ones that, you know, sort of came straight from the heart and probably were the easiest to write because I had experience of it. But I didn't have experience of anything that the other women were going through. So that was just very much a kind of get your head down, get yourself in the zone and pound away and and see what you come up with. It's so it's really interesting because there are also some really hilarious laugh out loud moments to the book. Was it important to you to have that balance of light and shade? Absolutely. It really, really was. And that, again, was something that came later on, the humour. And I think it's when I went into first, I remember just reading back and thinking, oh, I, you know, I'd found my voice in first person. I'd found my sort of style. And with that came the, well, hold on, I'm quite, you know, I'm quite a lighthearted person. I like to have a laugh myself. This is, has great potential for some slapsticks sort of silly humour because you know it's it's a group of people getting drunk at trivia night and swinging you know it had so much potential for you know silliness and I just really got into that zone and I by the time I was kind of you know putting some of the comedy moments in I, I was really enjoying myself and towards the end of the book I would just kind of sl- slip you know an odd joke or a bit of banter between the women in and I and it felt so right and I, I think because like you've mentioned there are a few serious issues so like the, you know the issues of infertility and substance abuse domestic violence stuff like that I felt like I needed to lighten that I didn't want to make it just a book that was oh no this has happened and oh god this is a bit depressing and oh these poor people <laughs> you know oh god why did I read that you know I wanted to make it you know fun yeah because awful things do happen in life but you know we to have a laugh about some of it sometimes right and and I wanted to make it an enjoyable book that took people away from some of the noir so I guess I don't know whether you call it dark comedy or or, or whatever it was but I am um, I, I really kind of felt it needed a bit of humor and and that's what I really enjoy writing so when I did find my voice it, it kind of came quite quite naturally and I'm, I'm really glad it did. Who are the authors that you love to read? Oh gosh well see behind me I'm, I've got quite an eclectic um, mix of authors that I like but I, I guess you know I adore Leanne Moriarty of course she's the queen of domestic noir suburban noir um, Sally Hepworth I love um, Burke Harrell Nicola Moriarty as you can see I kind of do veer towards the thrillers Michael Robotham um, I read The Husbands by Chandler Baker recently and I love that um, I'm trying to think what's on my bedside table again Rachel's on my bedside table and I'm about to start the Paris apartment by Lucy Foley so there's quite a you know and the maid I love the maid Anita Prose so there's just a quite a you know eclectic mix of, of authors I you know but I do particularly love Sally Hepworth um, and Leon Moriarty and to have a, um, a blurb quote from Sally was just mind-blowing and there were tears when I got that email through <laughs> so yeah that was a pretty special moment because I and most two authors cool. that you've referenced Leanne Moriarty and Sally Hepworth also include healthy doses of humor in their books and I think in a way they, they really do. paved the way for um all of us I think to approach dark topics with a light hand I, I suppose it's like the velvet fisted 
glove, isn't it, that you can land some heavy punches, but you can do it with in a really digestible and entertaining form. But I just want to know a little bit about the nuts and bolts of writing this book. You mentioned that you did the first draft in about nine months. Was that working on it every day? Did you have a word count? Were you working at the time? How did you logistically manage yeah, so I was freelancing at the time. So I was doing quite a lot of work for um, magazines and newspapers. Um, particularly, I was writing quite a lot of cover stories for Mossman Daily and North Shore Times, which is actually how the, the course came about because I interviewed Jacqueline Moriarty and she recommended it, um, which I've, you know, got a lot to thank her for. It's amazing. Um, so, yes, I was doing that at, at the time I started. Um, So I was probably writing maybe a couple of days a week. So nine to three when my children were at school, Um, maybe, yeah, weekends for two or three hours, Um, evenings. Yeah, I was pretty much plowing through it. Yeah, because I remember taking myself off to the library in the days that, you know, we didn't worry about COVID and we'd just stake out at the library or a cafe all day um, and and writing while my husband had the kids. so yeah, it was a very sort of basic first draft draft in that nine months. And then I had three quite intensive months of working with Catherine Heyman. So from say September to December, um, 2019, yeah, 2019, um, where I did ramp it up. So I was in the editing process. So like I said, I changed from third to first. I am um, kind of went nuts on my characters, you know, making them richer. Um, and that in that three months was probably when the most was kind of, you know, the embellishing the, the you know, making the story richer when, when that happened. Um, and then in the January, um, we, well, as part of Faber, we had to submit a chapter for the anthology um, and the anthology landed on desks of various agents in Sydney and the UK. And my anthology landed on the desk of my agent at the Soho Agency in London. And she asked me for the full manuscript when it was finished. And I was seeing Catherine then, having sessions with Catherine. And I remember replying to Marina saying, yep, I'll send it to you by the end of the week. And then thinking, oh, my God, what have I done? I've basically committed to sending a manuscript that I'm still tinkering with. You know, what am I thinking of? But I think I also got to the point where I was a bit over it. I was just like, I've done everything I can now. I have lived and breathed these characters. I'm going to send it because, and Catherine has said to me, you know, it's pretty much ready and, you know, there's more you could do, but it's pretty much ready. And I just thought, right, I've, I've, I've got to do it. I've just got to do it. I've got to take this chance. And I've stupidly said I'm going to, so I better do it. And I sent it off on a Friday night at about 10 p.m. Sydney time. And I remember sitting on the sofa and saying to my husband, well, that's it. I've done it. It's gone. And thinking, well, what will be will be. Um, and then the next morning waking up at 6 a.m. and my husband had gone for a long run and looking at my emails and having an email from Marina saying, I've basically been reading this all day. I can't put it down. And I just literally just put my phone down, didn't read anymore. I was like, <gasps> oh my goodness um and then went back to it and she said um you know I'd absolutely loved it and I'd love to talk to you about representation and so we had a Skype call a couple of days later and um and that was how it all unfurled and then it went out on submission so really sorry going back to your original question really the um the whole process was so I started the Faber course in March 19 2019 
and I sent it off in the January 2020. So really, yeah, it was ten. It was ten months in the making. And obviously, there were, you know, there were a few line edits that I did with Marina before it went on submission. Um, but then that was that was it really. So yeah, um, looking back, it does seem like it was quite a quick process. But it was very much dipping in a lot, and you know, day full days writing, and you know, waking up and writing for an hour before the kids were up and about. You know, so it, it was very intense. Can you tell me a bit more about your mentorship with Catherine Heyman? I've done a workshop with Catherine and she's a really inspiring teacher and in the workshop <laughs> that um, I did with her, she talked a lot about what writing with the senses, you know, about what your characters are hearing and seeing and smelling and touching and she also mm. spoke a lot about writing from character wounds which is something that you definitely do in the trivia night but I'm just wondering what were the things that you learned from Catherine what are the pieces of advice from her that you carry forward with you well I think mainly for me they were more kind of structural like I remember in the first session her saying to me okay, you're quite um, descriptive up front. Maybe pull back on that a little bit and let's get straight into the story. And that was something I then applied to the whole story. So not to get bogged down in the, you know, to, to wandering down too many rabbit holes, basically. Let's keep it quite succinct and, um, and carry on. And that was really helpful. Um, she also helped me with, because I, I had um, the story from four women's points of view. So there's another woman who joins the, the swinging party, as you know, called Lara. And Lara's a major character, but she doesn't have a voice. So, um, but she did at the beginning stages. But then Catherine and I discussed it quite a lot. And, and you know, I made the decision that you know, maybe it was a little bit too watered down with Lara in it as well. Maybe I just needed to focus on three. She didn't necessarily have to be one of the, a voice. She could just be there and to have this massive influence that she has over certain characters, but she could be slightly more enigmatic, I guess. Um, so those were the main things. Um, and, and just kind of talking over storyline towards the second part of the book, just getting some advice about, um, you know, is this a bit improbable? Um, would it be better if this happened? And, you know, and just stuff like that, really. Um, of course, there was all the work on character, but we've done a lot of that in um, on the course itself. So a lot of the, you know, stuff about sense we, we've done in, in the classes and, you know, we've done a lot of scenes where we'd written, you know, just using, um, you know, uh, uh, describing your surroundings to a T, basically. And I remember there's a, there's a scene in a spa. Of course there is, there's swingers. There's a scene in a spa, which is um, you, you don't really know who the people are involved. Um, and I remember writing that on the Faber course um, and kind of making references, kind of lustful references in terms of water lapping and oozing and, you know, lights flickering and, and, and you know, lights being entwined like the legs of lovers and, and trying to set a scene without being too obvious. Um, yeah, so a lot of that was from the course, but I'd have to say that probably when we went through our mentorship, it was probably more a structural mm -hmm. thing, um, you know, having had already done a lot of the, the characterization bits. Um, earlier on tell me what did you find to be the hardest part of writing the book 
The hardest part, um, probably getting through the first draft without going back a hundred times and, you know, trying to correct the first sentence, um, you know, trying to get to that midpoint. Um, when I first started writing, I just wanted to go back again and again and perfect the first paragraph, which I think, you know, probably got chucked, well, I know it got chucked away <laughs> later on in the process and, and just giving myself permission to just carry on writing till I got to the end of the book. And that was something Catherine had said to me um, or said to us as a group a lot was that just write it, just write it because that will all change. Just write, get your story down and then you can go back. Um, and I did find that quite difficult because I did have this really strong urge to just go back and, you know, I've said this tree was, um, you know, that this tree was a fern and I don't know, do they have ferns here? You know, well, maybe I should make it this tree and, you know, all this kind of stuff that I was really worrying about at the start, which when I wrote the second book, I realised it doesn't matter, just get that story down, then go back and worry about what tree you're leaning against, you know. So it was, um, yeah, I think that was probably the hardest bit for me. Um, and in some ways, going back and doing the um, structural edits was was difficult because you've kind of been out of the world for a while. You're writing your second book at this point and then you have to go back in to the first and change it up quite substantially, in, you know, in some respects. Um, you know, so I, that was another challenge. But um, but all in all, it was, um, it, it was challenging, but it was a really good learning curve. I, I learned a lot and I was able to take it all into the second book and, and the draft of the third. Um, to just, you know, em employ all those things I've learned. Yeah, my friend has a saying, and I think it's quoting someone famous, but I don't know who it is, which is that you can't write the first line until you've written the last line. And I think oh, it's yeah. that idea that you have to get that first draft out before you can understand what your story is about. And another writing adage that I've heard is that the first draft is you telling yourself the story and that yeah. second and subsequent drafts are about making it an experience for the reader. And I'm just yeah. wondering what, what for you is the takeaway for readers from this book? What, what do you want them to emerge from the experience of reading the Trivia Night? Um, I want them to have enjoyed themselves and been on a, a ride that was you know, enjoyable and that provided maybe a bit of light relief from day-to-day -day life. And, you know, we, I know we've spoken about the humour, but the humour has been so important to me um, and, and making it a bit escapist. So when I've read reviews where people have said, oh, you know, I, I laughed out loud, I really enjoyed the humour, that's really been, uh, you know, exciting for me um, because that's what I wanted. I wanted a suburban noir, but I also wanted it to have that element of, of humour so that people could kind of, you know, close it and think, oh, yeah, that, you know, it wasn't just this kind of, oh, God, these poor people. It was actually, well, you know, it was a bit of fun as well. I hope, I hope that's what people take away from it. Oh, it's 100% was my experience of it. But, you know, oh, humour is a subjective thing. And yeah, that's one true. thing that I found is that it can lead some people to be slightly dismissive of a book because then they just go, oh, well, you know, it's just a bit of a laugh. But to me, humour is as fundamental to my life as breathing. Like if you can't laugh at something in a day, then it becomes a very 
dark way to live. I don't know. Is it, yeah. Is that what you? Yeah, totally, totally. Well, like I said earlier, I, you know, I'm, I, I love to laugh and I'm quite like, sort of light, I suppose. I don't know. I, I just enjoy humor. <laughs> I like to laugh. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was important that that went in amongst all the noiry stuff. Um, and yes, if, if that's what people take away from it, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad. And hopefully people won't think it's, you know, it's just sort of token jokes chucked in. I, you know, I, hopefully I've, I've got the balance. I hope, fingers crossed. Oh yeah. I think, I think the balance is absolutely there. And, and I was trying to think of, um, a thread that, sort of tied the women together and it's hard because they are all quite different to each other but I think your book says a lot to women about the dangers of comparison and Mm. you know there's that old saying that comparison is the thief of joy and sometimes Mm. particularly as mothers we're so busy trying to live up to certain ideals of what a modern woman should look like that we forget to just be ourselves and live our lives. Um, what are your mm. thoughts on that? Well, I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted Amanda to be a newbie at the school because I wanted there to be this extreme pressure on her walking into this environment where everyone was perfect with their, you know, their legs slung over one another with their yoga pants on and their neoprene bags. And I kind of wanted her to walk into this world where there was, um, or at least she perceived there was this competition because she was you know had her insecurities but ultimately you know even though at the beginning of the book these women are sort of pitted against each other in certain ways and then obviously the inevitable happens I wanted it to be a book about females supporting females and I've said this in an interview before but my female friendships are so important to me you know I've got a very close group of girlfriends who I absolutely adore and you know without having family out here um we really support each other and we help out with each other's kids and you know and I'm I'm really blessed in that respect and I you know so so ultimately I wanted this to be a book not about you know about maybe a few petty comparisons amongst certain people within this school but ultimately women who come together to solve something and kind of show that you know you can maybe get over certain things without giving anything away um and you know perhaps women well I know women to be my greatest allies so I I wanted that to to come across yeah I think that um 100% agree and that's also a philosophy that I try to inject into a lot of the books all right because there is this awful myth that women in a group can't get along but I think that's completely untrue because any groups of women that I've worked in always tends to be a rewarding experience and as you said it might be petty misunderstandings but Usually there's those between men as well, you know, it's not just women, you know. Of course there are and, uh, but it's always a sort of a gendered representation that that sort of catty and bitchy and men just have, you know, disagreements sort of thing. Yeah, slap on the shoulder, mate, yeah. Yeah, completely unfair. But um, uh, I just wanted to say, Oh, sorry, I've just totally lost my train of thought there. No, you're right. I think I've been doing that a bit as well. <laughs> I double, double check that I've covered everything that I wanted to talk to you about, which I think I have. Um, but I did just want to ask you a little bit about what you're working on now. I understand that you are going to have 
another book out next year. Can you tell me what it's about? Is there a title for that yet? Yeah, so it's called The Running Club and it is based um, on a group of people in a white picket community, not unlike Darley Heights where the trivia night's set, um, it's called Esperance. And within Esperance, there's a core group of, of people who've lived there their whole lives and there's some others who have come in. Um, but all of these people are quite linked through their history and they are all very pleasant on the surface but underneath there's a few simmering tensions that kind of reach ahead and someone ends up um dying um so um yeah and they're members of an elite running club hence the name um so yes that is due out in 2023 i don't have a date release yet um and i've just written a very rough skeleton draft of a third novel um so once the trivia night is kind of the promotion's done and um and the edits are done on the running club then I will go back to that and um and see if that takes me anywhere are you a member of a running club no (laughs) no but I did get the idea because I live um just up the hill from a big kind of um running track and I remember taking my four-year-old there at the beginning of the first COVID lockdown um just for like air and just walking around and watching lone runners kind of going around and just thinking oh what about this and what happens if they were all in this group and they're all competing against each other on the track and what if there's some history simmering and and it just all kind of you know as it does as you know these things start percolating in your brain don't they and then um you know, eventually you um, you get them down on paper. Well, it sounds really, I'll I'll be definitely buying that one next year. But um, Ali, congratulations again on a wonderful book. Um, I hope it sells really well. I think it already is. And thank you so much for joining us today on Words and Words. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so nice to talk to you.